The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. If you are a newcomer to our church, I want you to know that ours is a community that honors and celebrates all that is positive and joyful in life, as well as what is sad and bitter. Our services often feature topics that are happier and less heavy than today's. They are not always as contemplative. In fact, this weekend is a fun and happy one for many in our congregation who are attending our first Memorial Day weekend family retreat since the start of the pandemic, a beloved and much missed annual tradition. Few of us truly observe Memorial Day, a holiday intended to honor the sacrifice of those who died in our nation's wars. It was originally created to honor Northern soldiers who died in the Civil War, the U.S.'s second revolution that ended literal slavery despite the racist injustices that continued in the future. Perhaps we have no relatives who died in war, or maybe we feel ambivalent about remembering them on this day because they fought and died for reasons we may oppose, or because we don't want their memories to be cheapened by using them as props for the advocates of nationalism and imperialism. We may resonate with the solemnity of the occasion, but not with any intent to make killing and dying, usually for corporate profit, into a thing to celebrate, emulate, or advocate. We may take a moment to remember the young dead soldiers with genuine grief, but not with patriotic fervor. There can be honor in risking death for a just cause, but not for an unjust one. There can be honor in physically defending oneself and one's family or community from lethal violence, even if that can mean taking lives ourselves. But there is no honor in killing or dying at the command of those who have shown in myriad ways that they don't care in the slightest about the survival or well-being of us or the vast majority of the world's people. That's why I can't imagine ever supporting a war carried out by the current U.S. government under the direction of its corporate masters. This Memorial Day, let us honor the two teachers who died in Uvalde while trying to shield their students, and the doctor in Laguna Woods, California, killed while acting to stop a gunman from taking additional lives in his Asian American church. They were civilian martyrs. They found remarkable courage in a moment of unchosen and unanticipated panic. And of course, let's honor, too, those who survived while saving others in Buffalo, Uvalde, and Laguna Woods. 
those who were wounded, and the memory of all who are killed in such horrific events. I do grieve the death of soldiers. I feel sorry for the hardships all combatants face in war. I will keep fighting for the benefits owed U.S. veterans by a government who puts them in harm's way. But I find it profoundly dishonorable to remember them in ways that attempt to justify such sacrifices in the future. In Unitarian Universalism, our first principle is to recognize the inherent worth and dignity of every person, even those who by their actions give us good reasons to question their worth and dignity. You can't believe in the first principle and have any real desire to kill. Yet desire is not the same thing as recognizing necessity. While an absolute pacifist might choose to die or even let others die rather than to kill, that was not the position of such great teachers of nonviolence as Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King. They believed risking death or injury without fighting back. But as, as a disciplined and powerful way of stating resistance. They also believed it was justified to take lives if absolutely necessary to prevent others from being killed. I share that belief, and I imagine many of you do too. Many years ago, I tried to kill a person in defense of myself and my family. I only slightly injured him, but enough to cause him to flee, which helped save at least three lives. Had he died, I imagine I would have been even more traumatized by this terrifying experience. But I doubt I would have felt any moral regret. All this brings me to ask, if we could kill, and I know I could, what exactly does it mean to be an advocate for peace? Fascists, we know, justify killing, torturing, and imprisoning others, imprisoning others in the name of racism and xenophobic nationalism, and they seek to install extremely authoritarian governments to protect capitalism at all costs. Vladimir Putin claims the invasion of Ukraine is justified due to the presence of fascism there being a threat to culturally Russian Ukrainians, and that the US and its European NATO allies are increasingly encroaching on Russia's sovereignty. There are fascists in Ukraine, including forces supported by the US government during the 2014 coup there. The US and NATO are not innocent defenders of the Ukrainian people or any other, and they continue to advance their military alliance provocatively toward Russia's borders. The parents of my generation, my father included, fought in World War II in a temporary alliance with then-Soviet Russia, often with the honorable goal of defeating fascism, even if that was not the overriding purpose of those who gave the orders. They, too, 
killed untold numbers of civilian noncombatants who were not fascists at all, just like many Russian soldiers are doing now. Was this justified? Even with hindsight, it is hard to know who was an innocent victim. And within the actual fog of war, it is even harder to see exactly whom one might be justified in killing. Yet how could one argue that the corrupt, authoritarian, and staunchly capitalist Russian government is somehow trying to save Ukrainians from fascism, the US or NATO? How is that any different from the US in Vietnam famously trying to destroy villages to save them? In the US today, we have a growing fascist movement rooted in white supremacist and Christian nationalism. Would this justify another power militarily attacking the US? How can we not feel empathy for Ukrainians battling to protect their families from a horrific invasion. If bombs were dropping on San Francisco or Oakland where I live, would I want to take up arms to defend myself, my family, my neighbors? Though duly horrified and frightened by the prospect, I can only hope I would have the courage and ability to do so, or at least at my age, be able to help others who do. If I can't justify a military attack on my own warmongering country, where fascism is far more of a threat to the world than it is in Ukraine, because I don't believe that all US Americans are villains who deserve to die, how could I ever justify any war that seeks to stereotype and villainize an entire population because of the actions of its government or the actions of some of its citizens? And what war doesn't? Adding to that, pragmatically, any invasion of another country by a nuclear power should be opposed because it risks a true Armageddon. Thus, I part company with those who claim to be anti-war and yet will not condemn the Russian invasion due to the faulty logic that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. However, even they may have a point about hypocrisy. How can we, as residents of the country that Martin Luther King rightfully called the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, we who have by far the highest percentage of deaths by gun violence of any so-called developed country in the world, not be hypocrites when we condemn others for engaging in killing? Perhaps the answer to that is that we are not our government. Our government is not caring for the well-being or representing the stated desires of the majority of US residents and even voters. We must find the political independence necessary not to act unwillingly or unwittingly complicit in its actions. That will not be easy. But to the extent anyone tries, even if they fail, they're not hypocrites in my book. We must continue to advocate for peaceful solutions 
to problems, effective, placeful solutions. However, I do believe in the right of self-determination of oppressed peoples, and oppressors do not give up power voluntarily. We UUs say we want to get rid of racism and systematic inequality, but it is highly unlikely that can be done without risking our lives in violent encounters, or at least giving material support to others who do as did many of our Unitarian and Universalist forebears during the Civil War. Don't forget, Memorial Day was created precisely to remember such fighters for liberation. Let us not be complicit in oppression because we lack their resolve or courage or empathy. Yet, we also know from painfully consistent historical memory that violence begets more violence. All too often, liberators become oppressors themselves, drunk from the power they have seized by force. We cannot minimize the tough choices we face ahead. There are no simplistic answers. None of us are exempt from wrestling with the angels of our morality. War is hell, no matter who initiates it or conducts it. And it is a lasting hell. It leaves a legacy long after cities are rebuilt and the graves of the long forgotten dead become hidden under the weeds. War plants the demon seeds of divisions yet to come. It is said that those who fail to remember the past are doomed to repeating it. I would add that those who fail to, to remember the future are no less doomed. The future depends on the collective decisions humanity makes today. Thank you. Para Maite Rodriguez, mi tocallita, que murió en la tierra linda de Ubalde, donde yo también jugaba de niña. I dedicate this to Maite Rodriguez, Maria Esther. We call a person with our same name Tocayo. She's my little tocallito who passed away in a beautiful land called Uvalde, where I also played when I was a child her age. When I was little, my younger brother Eduardo and I shared a special terror about a creature named Spring-Heeled Jack who knocked on doors at night. When someone answered, he would spit fire in their face and then he would disappear into the night by leaping over gates and rooftops. The story was in our favorite book, 
strange stories and amazing facts. The victim's descriptions of Spring-Heeled Jack's glowing red eyes made us shiver, and we swore that if we ever heard a knock late at night, we wouldn't let anyone open the door, not even Poppy. To make it more dreadful for ourselves, we would read the book at bedtime. When we were sufficiently terrified, we would push our twin beds together and Rochambeau to see who would have to turn out the light and try to make it back into bed before the monsters grabbed them. Once the lights were off, we would make sure to hide under our covers and made sure that our feet touched each other's so that if something horrible dragged one of us away, the other could feel the movement and wake up. Eduardo didn't know it, but there was a worse boogeyman that kept me up at night. I had overheard grown-ups talk about how young men had been drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. Even though the war was over by this time, the idea of a draft became a sort of super monster to me. My three brothers were my world. What was this force that had the power to snatch them away? It made my blood run cold. And yet, when daylight came, my brothers and I would play war with bags of little green army men. We would set them up in different formations and shoot at each other's armies with rubber bands. We especially loved to play hand-to-hand -hand combat, taking turns wearing our one prized plastic gladiator outfit that came with a helmet, chest plate, shield, and sword. And laundry days were especially exciting. We would dig out all the socks from the mounds of clean clothes and carefully roll them into tight wads to use as cannonballs. And then we would set up forts around the apartment and turn our home into something out of Duck Soup, our favorite Marx Brothers movie. My father had served in the Air Force and would regale us with stories of his time in Reykjavik, Iceland. We loved it when he would show us black and white pictures of himself as a young man looking rayfish, standing next to a motorcycle in front of the barracks, or working on what looked like transistors inside a large airplane hangar. Now that he was a father, he would turn us into ersatz soldiers at dinnertime by marching us to the table to the beat of a cheerful military tune. A comer, a comer, soldaditos de papel. Time for dinner, little paper soldiers. Sometimes, my father would sing a traditional children's song from Mexico about a young man named Mambru who went to war that would stop me in my tracks. The song goes way back to the 1700s by way of France and Spain. Mambru se fue a la guerra. Qué dolor, qué dolor, qué pena. Mambru se fue a la guerra. Quién sabe si volverá. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la. Quién sabe si volverá. Mambru went to war. What a shame. What sorrow. Who knows if he'll come back. In the song, they wait for Mamru to come home. Maybe he'll be home for Easter. No? Well, then maybe he'll be home by the Trinity. 
Time passes, and eventually he does come back in a casket. The song made me feel a sorrow that was beyond my years. The melancholy it dredged up came from such a deep and knowing place that looking back, I wonder if it wasn't a genetic memory. It was too much for my child heart to bear and the agony would gush out of me in tearful secret prayers for my brothers. I have a son who will be 21 in July. When he was born, I couldn't believe how big his feet were. I would hold them in my hands like big warm tamales and laugh. When he was a toddler, he loved it when I would lay on the floor and bounce him on my shins while I sang the noble Duke of York. When Russia first attacked the Ukraine and Zelensky announced that all men 18 to 60 were banned from leaving the country, I felt the old familiar panic begin to rise in my chest. On the news, I watched as gentle men, unaccustomed to fighting, awkwardly held their newly assigned weapons. I am finding it harder and harder to push down my sense of alarm. The drums of war are breaking through like a dreadful knock in the night. I wish I could make them go away. I wish all I had to do was whisper, don't open the door, mijo. I wish I could turn out the lights and cocoon next to him under our old familiar blankets, our feet touching like steadfast troopers keeping vigil until morning light. It's Memorial Day. I hold in my heart all of the beloved young people who have answered the call or have been in the way and been lost to us.